With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and there's a story that captured international headlines back in 2013, and it's resurfaced because the convicted killer of Reva Steenkamp has been released from prison early. Now, it was 1986, and South Africans Henke and Sheila Pistorius had just welcomed their beautiful baby boy into the world. But the special event was marked with challenges because Sheila's baby boy, who was named Oscar, was born with fibular hemimelia. Oscar was missing his fibula bone in each leg. Now, some babies are born with just one leg affected, and then some babies have only a shortened fibula. But Oscar's case was severe. Both legs were affected and both bones were missing. Oscar would not walk comfortably without help from devices. When he was 11 months old, doctors made the difficult decision to amputate both of his little malformed legs, about halfway between his knees and his ankles. Now, Sheila, she wasn't that mom that was going to let her son experience less in life due to difficult situations that were presented to, quite honestly, entirely his family. Oscar was in the middle of just about everything. School was normal, and he tried every sport, and he was successful in those sports. He was on the rugby team throughout his youth. He played water polo and tennis. He even wrestled. He regularly trained at a local gym where he would box. But I'm going to point out something here. Have you ever noticed that some people have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and that their whole life is engulfed in these major events? Well, that's Oscar. He has a major physical ailment, but he competes and amazes people, a high and a low. And then when Oscar was 15, his mother dies. But that didn't stop him either. He kept competing. Then when Oscar was 17, He suffered a serious knee injury while playing rugby, and that's when Oscar discovered running. 
another high and low in his life. He doesn't have completely formed legs or feet, yet he falls in love with a sport that uses legs primarily. It's not like some of the other sports where his upper body strength could possibly compensate for his disabilities. He was fitted for racing blades by an American who had made racing blades for a Paralympic sprinter. And the rise to success was quick for Oscar, just like his running. He became known as the fastest man on no legs. Just one year after starting his running career, Oscar finished third in the 100-meter event at the 2004 Summer Paralympics in Athens. And then he took first and set a world record in the 200-meter event, even though in preliminaries he had fallen while racing. It was as if Oscar was destined to become king of these events. In the next three years, Oscar set and then broke and reset other record times in the 100, 200, and 400 meter races. But why stop there, right? That was Oscar's attitude. And he was a man who experienced many highs in his life. So he began competing in non-disabled events, running against men who had both legs, and he had prosthetics or running blades. Well, in 2005, he beat all non-disabled athletes in the 400-meter race of the South African Championships. And while competing over the next few years in other non-disabled events, Oscar would regularly finish in the top 10. And he set his sights on the 2008 Summer Olympics. But his hopes were dashed when the South African Olympic Committee did not select Oscar to represent his country. And quite frankly, Oscar was controversial. People thought his running blades might actually offer him an advantage over other runners. And different scientists, well, they conducted tests to determine if his blades gave him an advantage. And some authorities said it did offer an advantage. But some felt it didn't, especially in longer distance races where he had to navigate turns on a track. Well, after appeals and rulings, it was determined that Oscar, if he qualified, could compete in the Olympics. And so he set his sights on 2012. Those Summer Olympics were his goal, and he got to work. Oscar had experienced so many highs. But then, in 2009, he hit another low. He was seriously injured in a boating accident that left him unable to train effectively that year. He also had to have surgery to repair his broken facial bones, mostly his nose and his jaw. But he didn't let that stop him. He got back to work training. And then there was another high in his life. When the South African Olympic Committee did select Oscar to be on the Olympic team and run the 4 by 400 meter relay races, the 2012 Games didn't end in a medal for Oscar. But his team finished eighth and Oscar carried his nation's flag for the closing ceremonies. All of his Paralympic and Olympic success made Oscar quite the celebrity. He appeared on the Italian version of Survivor and also the Italian version of Dancing with the Stars. He made the rounds on the talk show circuits and was interviewed by Jay Leno on The Tonight Show and Piers Morgan and Larry King on their shows. Oscar also started golfing in celebrity tournaments, and he experienced success there as well. All right, let's just pause with Oscar, because I need to introduce you to Riva Steenkamp, who was also born in South Africa, but she was three years older than Oscar. 
Reva's father, Barry, was a horse trainer, and naturally, Reva was raised on a horse. In her 20s, while completing school, Reva was involved in a riding accident which broke her back. Her close college friend said that was actually what changed Reva. She went from a quiet girl who rode horses and read books to the girl who was going to go after what she wanted. Once healed, she moved to Johannesburg and pursued her modeling career. She became the face of beauty products manufactured by Avon. She donned fashion magazine covers, and she had started to film a reality show called Tropica Island of Treasure. While she was turning heads in her modeling and TV career, she piqued the interest of Oscar. Now, the two were introduced over lunch by a mutual friend named Justin Devares. The lunch went well, but it was very just casual, and that was all it was actually meant to be. Then, during a conversation between Justin and Oscar, Oscar mentioned that he didn't have a plus one for his event that was to be held that evening. Justin said, well, why don't you call Reva? She'll go. But Oscar was worried about the short notice, and he didn't think Reva would be that carefree about such a high-profile event. But Oscar shot his shot, and he called Reva. She accepted his invitation. And an hour and a half later, the two were headed to the sports award banquet. For the next six days, they spent all their time together. Sparks were flying. Reva had to leave for a modeling event, but when she returned a few weeks later in December, the two spent Christmas together. And this relationship between two very busy people engulfed in their careers was budding. As the new year of 2013 rolled around, The two were photographed together, looking anything short of stunning. I mean, the photos are beautiful. What an it couple for South Africa. But remember, Oscar has a life of highs and lows. And we later learn, so did this relationship. All right, on February 13th of 2013, that's just four months after Oscar and Reva had met, the beautiful Reva rolled up in her Mini Cooper to the Silver Woods Estate area to their guarded entrance. And Reva, she went on and she joked with the guard on duty, and then he directed her through into the estate. The guard had become somewhat familiar with Reva. In fact, she'd been staying at Oscar's estate for a few days, and they were very aware that Oscar and Reva were dating. Well, a few minutes later, Oscar rolled up in his white BMW and he repeated the same process that Reva had done. He chatted with the guard and then he made his way through the gate and went to his home located within those grounds. Well, all was well in the affluent neighborhood until just after 3 a.m. on that Valentine's Day morning when screams and sounds of gunfire jolted multiple sleeping neighbors awake. Reva who was in the primary bathroom with the door closed, was shot four times by Oscar through that closed door. At 3.19 that morning, Oscar had phoned his neighbor, Johan. As Johan answered, he heard Oscar saying, please, please, please come to my house. Please, I shot Riva. Please, please come quick. And the scene that unfolded was chaotic, bloody, and 100% compromised. As the neighbor and his daughter rushed to the front entrance of Oscar's house, 
they saw Oscar descending the stairs, holding a bloodied and limp Riva. As he collapsed at the bottom of the stairs, his neighbor Carice tried to assess the wounds. She could see that Riva's hair was soaked in blood. Carice made a mental note that that was wound number one. Then there was her arm and hand, spurting blood and badly misshapen. There's wound number two. Then she checked the blood coming from the waistband of Riva's Nike shorts. That was wound number three. She screamed at Oscar that they needed to stop the bleeding. She ran up the stairs and grabbed multiple towels from the linen closet. And she told Oscar they needed tape and bags to create a tourniquet. As she tried to fashion a tightened bandage to Riva's arm, she realized that wasn't going to be able to even stem the bleeding. And Oscar wasn't much help. He was praying aloud, begging God to save Riva. He was also answering all the other neighbors who were now in the house entrance. He's saying he shot her through the bathroom door, thinking she was an intruder. Well, he keeps trying to intermittently do mouth-to-mouth for Riva, and nothing, nothing is helping his mortally wounded girlfriend. From that first call at 3.19 a.m., emergency personnel do not show up to help Riva or for that matter, help Oscar and his neighbors until 3.45. And at 3.50, Riva is declared dead. For the next few minutes, people walk throughout the house. Oscar goes back upstairs to the bedroom and bathroom area, the scene of the shooting, and he's alone. Then after a couple of minutes, he returns with Riva's purse so that authorities can have her ID card. When police arrived a few minutes later, they found Oscar in the kitchen speaking with Carice. He had been vomiting from emotion and he was overcome with grief and tears. Investigators made their way up the bloodied stairs, through the blood-stained hallway and into the bedroom and bathroom area. They found a shattered bathroom door. They found the gun. They found her cell phone, and importantly, they found an open bathroom window. When the detective peered below, he could see a ladder on the ground, and he later learned that that ladder had been left there by workers who were repairing the home. Well, after assessing the scene, investigator Hilton Botha walked back downstairs, and there he found that Oscar had washed his hands, his chest, and his arms, No more blood was left on them. His shorts were still bloody, and so were his prosthetics, but his upper body was completely clean of evidence. Now, Botha and Oscar, they actually know each other. See, Oscar had been involved in an assault case four years earlier, and Botha had investigated that case. Well, Botha asked what had happened, and the same story was repeated about an intruder and an accidental shooting. Now, when I say this crime scene has been compromised, it just keeps going. Botha isn't wearing foot coverings, yet he has walked all the way through the bathroom, the bedroom, the hallway, the stairs, all of them are covered in blood, and he's walked right through them. Friends of Oscar's are allowed to speak with Oscar at the scene and in the garage outside of the house, this even after Oscar has been read his rights. And are you ready for this one? When one visitor astutely realizes that Riva's parents need notified of her murder, that visitor asks around to see if anyone has Barry Stenkamp's number. Well, someone retrieves Riva's phone, 
the same cell phone that was picked up by investigators in the bloodied bathroom. And that friend takes the phone, taps in the unlock code to the phone, and finds Barry's number so that Reva's dad can be contacted. Now, investigators arrested Oscar that night. And one year later, they take him to trial for the murder of Reva Steenkamp. Oscar never wavers on his story about an intruder in the home that night. But investigators say his violent behavior and a late night argument led to him shooting Reva in anger. And remember, I said Brotha and Oscar, well, they knew each other. Oscar had a high profile violent encounter before Reva's death that Brotha was involved in. In 2009, Oscar allegedly broke a woman's leg after he slammed a door and then punched that door so hard that a panel from the door fell through onto the woman's leg, breaking it. For that encounter, Oscar eventually reached an out-of-court settlement, reportedly to avoid both civil and criminal legal battles, but it made Brotha and Oscar very familiar with each other. Well, investigators revealed in court that they had also found WhatsApp messages between Oscar and Reva that show a pattern of Oscar's aggressive behavior. In one message, Reva told Oscar that he picks on her excessively. And then in another, she wrote that she does everything to make him happy and that all he does is throw tantrums. Then she wrote that she is scared of him sometimes and that he snaps at her. At another time, she also texted him that she didn't ever know how he would react in situations. Investigators also say in court that Oscar's reckless with firearms and that he has previous relationships where he was verbally abusive. Okay, all of what I've just told you, that's just a brief overview of how investigators tried to show in trial that Oscar was unpredictable and aggressive because there's no way I could tell you everything. This trial takes forever. Seven months is how long this trial goes on. There's so much back and forth about Oscar's mental health and his violence. And then also about how the night of the murder and the investigation was mishandled. And during the trial, Oscar, he cries and he wails. He actually throws up when the shooting is described in detail. He also goes through an extensive psychiatric evaluation during the trial And that seven-month trial was watched by so many throughout the world due to the cameras in the courtroom. But it ended with Oscar being acquitted of murder by the judge. Now, it's not a complete clear of Oscar's name. He was found guilty of a lesser charge. And that charge is similar to manslaughter in the United States. Well, for that charge, he is sentenced to five years in prison but granted temporary release to his uncle's home. Prosecutors vow to appeal the decision, and many in South Africa were outraged by the ruling. Protesters outside of the courtroom called for a tougher sentencing, and the media covered the whole chaotic trial and the subsequent outrage endlessly. Then in 2015, South Africa's Supreme Court of Appeals overturned the conviction, and they instead found Oscar guilty of murder. But that happiness for prosecutors was short-lived because the judge turns around and gives Oscar 
an incredibly light sentence for murder, he is sentenced to six years for that conviction. Again, prosecutors appeal, and the Supreme Court altered the sentence to 13 years and five months. Like I said, the trial's back and forth, the appeals are back and forth, the judge and the Supreme Court aren't agreeing. There's just so much confusion around this case. Now, during all of this, Oscar does go on to receive what some say is special treatment due to his disability. He has his own cell and a garden space where he can grow his own food. He's also receiving anger management treatment, lots of therapy while in prison. And he must meet with Reva's father, Barry Steenkamp. Now, there's a reason for this. This meeting is designed to offer healing via a victim slash offender dialogue. They're supposed to get together and it's supposed to help with the process of Oscar being in prison. Well, after the meeting, Barry tells media outlets that the meeting actually did nothing to change his mind about Oscar. He still believed Oscar brutally murdered his daughter on that Valentine's morning following an argument between the two. And I'm going to tell you, Barry has some legitimate reasons to believe that's true. During the trial, neighbors testified to hearing yelling before the four gunshots. And many believe that Oscar's story never really lines up that there was no way an intruder could enter the second story bathroom through that window. Well, now we're to the update because in March of 2023, Oscar went before a parole hearing and was denied early release. That ruling had Reva's remaining family celebrating, but the rest of the year wasn't filled with joy. In September, Reva's father died in his sleep. And then in November, a parole board granted Oscar an early release. This is all granted because there was some kind of clerical error with calculating his time served. And then just last Friday, Oscar Pistorius left his prison cell and moved in with his very wealthy uncle in Pretoria, South Africa. This is the same mansion he lived in during his seven-month trial. Now, Oscar served almost nine years in prison for Reva's murder. Upon his release, June Steenkamp, okay, that's Reva's mother, she told news outlets that the death is still raw and still real. She said the following, has there been justice for Reva? Has Oscar served enough time? There can never be justice if your loved one is never coming back and no amount of time served will bring Reva back. We who remain behind are the ones serving a life sentence. Now, it's important to note that the murder drastically altered the entire lives of June and Barry. They were forced to sell their home, mostly due to legal fees, and they were nearly bankrupted during the process. And all of this was on the heels of them being financially unsettled before the death of Reva, because it's been reported that she was actually helping support the two. Now, it's not complete freedom for Oscar. His parole conditions include restrictions on when he's allowed to leave the home, there's a ban on consuming alcohol, and there's orders that he must attend programs on anger management and violence against women. He must also perform community service. Oscar will also have to regularly meet with parole officials and will be subjected to unannounced visits by authorities. He is not allowed to leave the Waterkloof district without permission, and he's not allowed to speak to the media 
until the end of his sentence. He could be sent back to prison if he's in breach of any of these parole conditions. And in South Africa, it's a little bit different than in America. Parolees do not wear ankle monitors or actually any other kind of monitoring device. But the Department of Corrections assured news outlets that he would be regularly monitored by a parole officer. Now, you might think people would be, you know, somewhat outraged that he was released nearly five years before he was scheduled to be released. But that's not really been the response. It seems the response in South Africa has been muted. The strongest response, or one of them, came from the advocacy group called Women for Change. In their press release, they said the early release sent the wrong message to potential offenders, and it didn't honor Reva and her work with helping women. I guess we'll just have to see what happens for Oscar, who is now 37 years old. His release has been so muted that pictures of the former athlete aren't even available. It has been rumored that he's gained some weight while in prison and that he's grown a beard. It's also been reported that he has become a smoker who frequently led Bible study while in the low-level security prison. Now, the Mirror out of the UK speculated that Oscar will stay hidden for most of his parole time, which ends in 2029. The mansion that he's staying in? Well, it's patrolled by attack dogs and surrounded by razor wire fencing, mostly because his uncle is so wealthy. But those security features are actually going to be beneficial to Oscar since some unsavory characters have actually threatened his life in the past. So let's end this update actually talking about Reva. She had worked to help women in violent situations before her death. She was the face of awareness campaigns for domestic violence. And just the day before her death, she had tweeted her support for a campaign against rape and abuse of women. She was a driven legal student who had applied for the bar in 2011, and she was hoping to become a legal advocate before she turned 30. Her family said she knew modeling actually had a shelf life. She wanted to be more than just a bombshell. Now, during her funeral, her brother Adam said that there was a space missing inside all the people who loved her. He said they were committed to keeping all the positive things that they knew she embodied and that they would take those things and work to make the world better. During Oscar's release, her mother reiterated this desire, saying that she would continue to work with women's advocacy groups to celebrate Reva's memory. All right, let's finish today's episode with one of those stories where if someone told it to you, you might think they made the whole thing up. But this story is very true and very bizarre. Let's go to Florida, where a single mother of two was working at making her goals come true in 2024. Amanda Broku had listed her home for sale in Orange County, and she had already made an offer on another home. Now, that offer was contingent on the sale of her current residence. But it all got weird when Amanda's son told her a bunch of men showed up and were measuring the driveway to the home. Then those men just left. Then over the next few days, other contractors showed up to measure the driveway. And of course, these visits by strange workers are all happening during the day, which meant Amanda usually wasn't home because she's at work. But Amanda would catch the men on her doorbell camera when she got off shift. 
Then, during one of the visits by the strange men, she was actually home, and Amanda cornered one of the men examining her driveway. Now, that construction worker told her that he had been contacted by a man named Andre, who was requesting that a new driveway be installed at the woman's home. And understandably, Amanda told the worker she didn't know who Andre was and that she wanted him to leave her home and not come back. And then Amanda, because she's a responsible woman, did exactly what she was supposed to do. She called police and she relayed the story about the weird comings and goings of the men and that she was also able to talk with one of the men. In fact, that worker had shown Amanda messages between him and Andre. Well, the police took that information and the screenshots that Amanda had provided and they called Andre. Well, he said that he must have just had the wrong address and that he was sorry for the misunderstanding. Okay, all of this up until now seemed annoying, but plausible. You know, something like that could actually happen. Then on December 21st, Amanda came home from work and her driveway was gone. All the concrete was just gone. And her sidewalk up to her front door, it's missing too. It's just gone. Doorbell camera footage had caught workers with heavy machinery tearing out the driveway while Amanda was at work and her children were away from the home. It seems Amanda had involuntarily become involved in an overpayment scam. Okay, we got to hold on because this was a new one for me too. And here's what I discovered on how it works. The scammer pretends to own a house. Usually it's a house for sale or one that's potentially vacant. And then the scammer will call contractors asking for an estimate for exterior work. Then the scammer mails a check or sends an electronic payment in excess of the actual price that the contractor quoted. So that scammer sends too much money. And then they contact the contractor and they ask for a refund. They want their extra amount of money that they paid returned. Well, eventually they find a contractor that will quickly fix the issue. And once the money is returned, the scammer cancels the entire payment. And the contractor is left having potentially done the work on a job that doesn't exist. And the contractor also doesn't get paid. And poor Amanda was caught in the middle. She's just trying to sell a home that is now basically unsellable and she didn't even have anything to do with the scam. Now, there's some good news here. Andre, he's tracked down and police have arrested him. But that left Amanda stressed during the holidays because she's in this bad place. She might lose the house she's placed an offer on and she doesn't have enough money to fix the driveway of the house that she owns. But her community stepped up and donated more than $10,000, which was enough money to cover the unexpected expense of replacing the driveway. That's so awesome, right? But it actually gets better. A contractor then stepped forward and offered to do the job for free. So now Amanda has told Fox News she is donating that charitable money, over $10,000, to a local charity. And law enforcement, well, they've chimed in. They say Amanda did exactly what she should have done in this case. And then they took it a step further and warned that everyone should report any person who comes onto their property without permission. 
especially if the intruder tries to perform work on the property that the owner has not requested. There's one thing this story teaches us. People are really crappy out there, but they're also really, really good. All right, that's your Monday episode of Rise and Crime. Thank you for today's case suggestions. And did you see the new update to Ono Media's content? Peyton has a new podcast. Look for Into the Dark podcast with Peyton Moreland. It's a new little twist added to Ono Media. And thanks for all the support on the various platforms. If you love what you're hearing, please tell a friend. And join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.